morning, good afternoon, good evening, or to him, good morning, this Eagle Eyes on Tech, I am Regal Falcon. This is a weird week in tech news. Because if there's one story that kept popping up over and 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 over again. It was leaked benchmarks out of AMD. I kid you not when I say I had no less than 18 stories on my stack when all was said and done about AMD's leaked benchmarks. Now, obviously, I took the axe to a good chunk of them. But holy cow, guys. Look, tech media, I get it. You're excited to see AMD actually take all the crowns away from Intel. I know, it's been over a decade since AMD's managed to bring forth, like, a product that has beaten Intel on every front. Hasn't been since the Athlon 64. I, I, I get it. I get it. But calm down, man. Or maybe that's just a sign it's a slow news week. I don't know. Let's talk first about the NVIDIA news. We have... Depending on who you asked, leaked or confirmed release dates for the new NVIDIA Super Cards. Yes, so now you can totally enjoy the RTX 2080 Super in addition to the RTX 2080 and 2080 Ti, the RTX 2070 Super, in addition to the RTX 2070, and the RTX 2060 Super, in addition to the RTX 2060. And then let's also not forget the GTX 1660 Ti, 1660 and 1650. Because if you you had some insane hope of being able to understand how numbers work, well, joke's on you because they are all the same architecture. This is going to be such a mess. This is going to be such a mess. Now, July 2nd is only when we're going to see the RTX 2070 and 2060 Super. With a full release on July 9th, supposedly. And we're not going to get pricing info until, quote-unquote, later this week. And here's the best part. The RTX 2080 Super, we're not going to see until, quote-unquote, later in July. You want to know why you're not going to see it until later in July? Because AMD can't compete on that high of a scale. Yet. (sighs) 
I, I, I just, why? Can, can we just, mm. look, NVIDIA, if you got cards, let's see them. This is just becoming a, this is just becoming a giant mess. It really is. And the worst part is, is the numbering. Like Mob Farmer in the chat, in chat is talking about, a lot of people are going to want the 2080 Super just because it's called the 2080 Super. A lot of people are griping because, of course, with the 2080 existing at the high price point it is, they're going, oh, well, I had a 10, 1080 before, but now the 2080 is so much more expensive. And I was in the 80 bracket. Except that even the 2070 outperforms what they had. But now you're not at that 80 tier. You're, you're a tier lower. And that does actually mess with some people. Not to mention the price in all this. We're just going to be sitting here going, why? Now, fortunately for us, there are trademark filings and evidence that there is going to be an AMD Radeon RX 5800 and RX 5900 GPUs. And hopefully, and again, I'm going to say hopefully, they might actually be able to compete with NVIDIA. I imagine they're going to just for the fact they're releasing these super cards. Huh, that was... Anyway, I don't think our live stream heard the thunder, but I think our broadcasting, our podcasting software did detect the thunder. So for that, I apologize. And we're just going to move on with all this. Uh, Where were we? Right, graphic cards. The fact that the... RTX 2080 Super is being held back is really becoming annoying. I mean, it, it really is. Because you know the only reason we're not seeing that RTX 2080 Super right now is because the RX 5800 and RX 5900 aren't out. But they're going to happen. So NVIDIA is just going to keep it close to their chest. And then pretty much the only people who who lose in this is anyone who's looking at that high end. Now, honestly, for me, because I only game at 1080p, because my screen can only handle 1080p, and the fact that I only broadcast games at 1080p, you really don't... I, I mean, I personally am not looking at anything past the RTX 2060. Because that maxes out everything at 1080p 60fps, even with ray tracing on, just nicely. It's when you go into the 4K territory that that tier of GPU suffers. So that's where I still stand. And keep in mind, we still have no idea how well the Navi GPUs are going to perform. We have not seen 
real benchmarks yet. And I don't know about you, I really want to see some real benchmarks. And no, I don't mean these leaked benchmarks, like I talked about earlier, how we're seeing those all over the place. For the Ryzen cards. Yeah, you notice how these benchmarks are being leaked everywhere? When these benchmarks are going, It smokes the 9900K! It beats the Core i9. It beats the Core i9 on single-threaded performance. It beats the Core i9. It beats the Core i9. It beats the Core i9. Uh, You cannot escape it right now. Oh, boy. Did you know that the 12-core Ryzen 9 3900X smokes the 9900K? Except here's the best part. No one knows! No one actually knows right now because you cannot trust benchmark leaks. They're nice to look at. It's nice to hope and dream that they're real. But how many times have we heard before? Oh, well, um... These... The the new... R... What, what was it? The R7... 480, whatever the heck it was. Oh man, it performs real well. It performs real well. Oh man, it it performs real well. And it never did. I'm sorry. I hate to be the one to rain on everyone's parade. But AMD has a terrible track record with leaked benchmarks being right. And all you see across the board is everyone buying these benchmarks hook, line, and sinker. I'm not saying have no faith in the Ryzen second gen processor. I'm saying take a deep breath Step back a little bit and don't pre-order the chip until we see some real solid benchmarks from a third party. Alright, is that so much to ask for? Because you know what? Hey, it's it's not going to go up in price. It's still going to be the same MSRP. In fact, waiting, if anything, is going to result in the price going down. Because, let's be honest. If the 9900K really loses on all fronts to the Ryzen 9, what's going to happen to the 9900K? Its price is going to go down. When its price goes down, more than likely the Ryzen 9s might drop a little bit. So just relax, take a deep breath, and we'll see just how well they perform. Personally, I can't wait. And, you know, just as an example of how crazy the whole benchmark fiasco is, I'm not even kidding, when it comes to the Ryzen 9 
3900X, I axed a dozen of those stories. The only other one I kept is people talking about the AMD Ryzen 3600 and showing its benchmarks in laptops providing improved performance over the mobile variants and showing frame rate increases when paired with an NVIDIA GeForce RTX 2080 Ti GPU, which if that's the case, A, I am all in favor. But again, don't pre-order it yet. Say it with me. Don't pre-order parts. It's usually a good rule, rule of thumb. Alright, are we now all sick of talking about CPUs and GPUs? Even you in the chat says don't pre-order anything. That's usually solid advice. There's only a couple of times where I'd say pre-ordering might be a good thing. And that's if, like... They give you a decent discount for for it, and you know you're going to be getting it anyway. Like, I usually pre-order the, uh, the latest party pack from Jackbox, because I know I'm going to buy it. I know I'm going to stream it. And I usually save, like, five bucks by pre-ordering. And on a $25 game, that's worth it. And that's about the only time I'd recommend pre-ordering. Like, literally the only time. All right, let's talk about uh, this little uh, report. This from Forbes. Microsoft plans a foldable 9-inch Surface that runs Android apps and packs new Intel chips. Supposedly, this new Surface laptop or tablet will, will include Windows 10, a new... 10 nanometer Lakefield processor. These are the brand new ones that are just announced and are currently only available on mobile. It's not said yet whether this is going to be an ultra low voltage version or a full voltage version. And can run Android apps. Now, this folding tablet will use two separate screens. According to the report, it won't be one screen that is foldable. So, here's my question. Does it also make coffee? Will it also make my breakfast in the morning? I'm sorry, but... I believed this until I saw Run's Android apps. Like, seriously, can any of you imagine (laughs) Microsoft wanting to play nice with Android? To me, it doesn't make sense. Now, one thing you also don't see from this is the price. 
Because as Mob Farmer in the chat pointed out, there are versions of surfaces that are crazy expensive. At the same time, though, there are also versions of the surface that are super cheap and actually relatively affordable. I believe, like, what? It was the Surface Go? That was, like, a nice little 10-inch Windows 10 tablet for, like... 350 bucks or 400 bucks or something like that that's not bad for what it does but then you look at the surface pros which not gonna lie from a tech crazy person like myself looks really nice and then you look at the price and see two grand and you go ow just just ow So, I don't know. Dual 9-inch screen Surface tablet. That runs Android apps. Okay. Sure. Alright. Tom's Hardware does, in fact, have the first... Benchmarks up for the new Valve Index VR headset. And they have concluded that that may in fact be the best VR experience out there if you have the space because it uses outside sensors that aren't built into the headset and controllers. And more importantly, if you have the cheddar. Like, that was one thing that kind of seemed off about the the Valve Index. The Valve Index, if you don't remember, and if you don't, I don't blame you. Because, let's be honest, the moment I mentioned Valve, one of two things popped in your head. One... Trying to protect your wallet from the Steam sale that is about to wrap up. Or two, wondering when Half-Life 3 is coming out. By the way, Valve, when is Half-Life 3 coming out? I want to know what happens on that boat. What are we talking about? Oh yeah, VR headset. But yeah, at $1,000 for this thing, when every other VR headset in existence costs at least half that, it does make you wonder if the quality improvements is worth it. Because that's the direction that VR is taking right now. It's cheaper and cheaper to get a PC that can handle good VR. I mean, heck, all you need is... What? A Ryzen 5 and a GTX 1660 Ti. Theoretically, you could build a VR-capable gaming rig for six, seven hundred-ish bucks? Probably closer to six hundred? Compared to a couple of years ago, that's much better. 
And so for the minor improvements you get, which, granted, are still good, I don't think that's worth doubling the cost of the gear. But I don't know, that's just me. Speaking of Valve, let's talk about that Steam cell, shall we? Now, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I did not pay very close attention to the Valve Steam sale. Because, um... The day it launched, I was like, oh boy, now I can go get a whole bunch of games. And I started looking at the games that were for sale, and I was just like... What do I need? And I didn't have a good answer for that. Like, at all. So I just kind of tuned it out, but apparently... There was a racing minigame built into the Steam sale, which had five teams. The Hare, the Pig, the Cockatiel, the Tortoise, and the Corgi. So what you did, which I never did, was join a team, and then as you bought games that were on sale, that team earned points. And then the winning team would have one member of that team chosen at random get a game on their wish list for free as a reward. Which then caused a whole bunch of people to trim down their wish list so only the game they really, really wanted that was really, really expensive would get picked for the giveaway. Which that doesn't seem all that problematic, except that, did you know that game discovery on Steam is based on how many people add that game to their wish list? This actually caused a major problem for a lot of small developers. And they actually went and complained to Valve directly. Because all of a sudden, their small game that they needed the exposure for to get it out there was dwindling very quickly. And keep in mind, in order to be listed on Steam, you need to pay an upfront cost. In addition to a cut of your game revenue being given to Steam as being being on part of the platform. So not only as a small developer are you trying to make up the costs of developing your game in the first place, but you're trying to make up the cost of being on Steam in general. And for your small little five ten dollar game that you just discounted down to two or five bucks, that's a big deal. To which then... Valve then also said that, hey, you can pick favorites on your wish list now. And we'll pick from those favorites. So therefore, everyone is happy. Well, except for the people who chose Team Hare, Pig, Cockatiel, and Tortoise. 
because everyone else, the overall majority of Steam, realized that you know what a what a smart thing it is. Just pick the corgi, because corgis corgis are adorable and also a meme. Like, the corgi won this little mini game race by miles. It wasn't even close. And that's a shame. That is a shame. Because everyone knows Pig is faster than Corgi. Pig was easily the fastest animal on there. We all know that for a fact. But oh well. Alright, before we get to our break, I do want to talk about one of the potentially biggest tech stories of 2019. And we won't know yet if this actually is the biggest tech story of 2019, but it has the potential to be so. Johnny Ive is leaving Apple. And any of you who are not in the know in tech just kind of went, wait, what? Johnny Ive, if you don't know, he is the lead design director of Apple. He first joined Apple way back during the Power Mac G3 era. In fact, one of the first computers Johnny Ive designed was the iMac G3. This was the all-in-one computer that was semi-transparent, had the blue back, had a built-in handle. It was basically the computer that put Apple back on the map. He then went on to design pretty much every iMac since, moved towards making laptops out of aluminum, giving them that nice matte metal finish designing backlit the backlit keyboards that became iconic on the PowerBooks and the MacBook Pros, developing the iPod and the click wheel, the iPhone. Johnny Ive and his designs was one of the main reasons Apple is the juggernaut that it is today. And yes, he did design the cheese grater of the Power Mac G5 because someone in the chat asked about that. And, yeah, I'm not going to lie. It is a silly design. Both the modern cheese grater... Actually, we actually don't know if he was responsible for the modern cheese grater or not. But he was responsible for the Power Mac G5 cheese grater and the original Mac Pro cheese grater design. I would argue, though, the bigger sin was the trash can Mac Pro design. That is a far bigger sin than the cheese grater. Now, to the reason of why this might not be... As big 
a change as we might think. Johnny Ive is leaving to start his own design firm. And Apple will remain... Well, Apple will become a customer of Johnny Ive's new design firm. So he's still going to be involved with Apple, but we don't know to what extent. The other thing this actually brings into question is, of course, a move like this means that it was in the works for a while. So clearly that means the design team at Apple has been working on transitioning away from having Ive at the helm. That's why I can say I don't know whether he was responsible for their latest design being the new Mac Pro cheese grater. Which, am I weird for saying that I actually don't mind it? Like, quite a few people have came to me and just, like, that is the fuggiest computer ever. And I'm just like, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like it. It's not great, but... It's, as far as workstations, workstations go, it's fine. It's perfectly fine for what... It gets the job done, and that's really what's important. And on top of that, the design didn't compromise flexibility. The chat is now ridiculing, ridiculing me for not uh, absolutely hating the Mac Pro design. And saying they would have preferred something like this. They've given me a picture now that actually resembles a lot closer to... It's basically, it's got the whole Mac Pro design... Except that the handlebars are, instead of being on the front and the back, it's on the two sides. And instead of being full of perforations, it's just slats across the front. Very similar to how the HP Z series is, except they are horizontal instead of vertical. And that look is fine. But at the same time, I gotta side with Mob Farmer here. It's under a desk. Or it's next to the desk. I mean, that's where my two workstations would be if it weren't for the fact that... Well, I swap my one keyboard and mouse here between the two, so I reach over and move the cables when needed. Although, man, this this one mouse is, uh, is reaching the end of its life. I'll tell you what. But yeah, the end of an era. How much of an end, we don't know. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Bill Gates admitting that leaving Android alone was a mistake. In addition, Oppo creates... A camera that works under a screen.
Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. D during the break, we were talking... <laughs> we, we have come to the conclusion that Johnny Ive is clearly leaving to develop a new type of aluminium that may or may not be transparent and perfectly uh, rigid so that they can make products that are a fraction of a millimeter thin. Th this is clearly it. It absolutely is not. We have no idea. I did also neglect to mention that the name of the company Johnny Ive is going to be for, going to be making it is called Love Form. It completely slipped my mind because I'm not going to lie. The first time I heard that, I thought it was a joke. Weird. Bill Gates admits that his greatest mistake. It was allowing Android to thrive. You know, honestly, there's a bit of truth to that, but at the same time, it's not really Bill Gates' fault that this happened. Here... You you want my opinion where Microsoft's biggest mistakes which even which in the first place allowed Android to thrive. And you're going to laugh at me because this sound this sounds like the easiest excuse in the world. You want to know Microsoft's biggest mistake? It was Windows Vista. Like, you're, you're laughing. You're raising a brow right now and going, really? That's where you're going with this? But no, seriously. The push for Windows Vista and the massive... <laughs> the massive time suck that was trying to make Vista work in which they eventually just said we're just going to release one giant patch and call it Windows 7 rather than just rework 7 all rework 7 and just not even bother trying to fix Vista much like what they did with ME to Windows 2000 is what prevented Microsoft from actually trying to make a functional mobile operating system. Because they had something for a while. They did have Windows, I think it was called Portable? Windows Mobile? And it was an operating system for Palm Pilots. Well, not Palm Pilots specifically, but... It was four handheld computers that pretty much used a stylus. And they were around before the iPhone even existed. By the way, that operating system was awful. It was more awful than Vista. And those of you who used it, you know I'm not wrong. That might have been the worst operating system to blight the planet. Second only to Windows ME. 
But because they had to spend more time fixing Vista, fixing the problem, the nightmare that was Vista, pretty much almost no R&D ever went into trying to beat Apple and Android to making iOS and Android. I said Android. I meant beating Apple and Google, not... You know what I meant. I would say that was Bill Gates' biggest mistake. And that was more Balmer's mistake than anything. Bill Gates was almost out of the picture at that time. But that, that whole, that problem was what let Google to just kind of sneak in and start developing Android. And start letting that thrive. While Microsoft was still trying to figure out... Hmm... How to make mobile OS. Although then again, they actually did try later on to make one operating system for all in Windows 8 and well... Um. Yeah, that didn't go so well, did it? Maybe that was actually their their bigger mistake. The whole concept of having Windows 8 be the one operating system to rule them all, and it just wasn't. Cause it did mobile decently, but man, what it did to the laptops and and the desktop environment was just atrocious. Speaking of Android al- being allowed to exist. We have the Samsung Galaxy Note 10 now potentially existing in not one, but two different flavors. There's a lot of rumors that I may or may not have reported on in the early bird briefing talking about the possibility of of the existence of a Galaxy Note 10 Pro. And I don't know if I made these comments actually on podcasts or not, but... It's pretty much the same stand I have on anything. The moment you put the word pro in front of it, the moment you make a a computer, whether it be a smartphone, a tablet, a desktop, a laptop, professional, it better be professional quality. It better be built to last. It better, underline, better be a product of high quality. It better be something that is built to take it. And that's one of the biggest problems I have with Apple right now. They have a whole lot of pro quali- pro, pro quality, pro products that are toy quality. The MacBook Pro is not a pro product. It just isn't. Bob Farmer in the chat says that Windows' biggest mistake was not pushing all computers to use ECC RAM, so the instability of me- memory ca- caused win- Windows to be seen as lacking quality and gave Linux backdoor into d- data centers. Uh, in the 
in the server space, maybe. But then again, in the server space, I mean, almost everything uses ECC anyway. But honestly, the ECC requirement, that's more on the CPU side of things. That's more of an Intel thing. And Intel, the only systems that even have ECC support for the longest time were these Xeon processors. If you want to just use a Core i7, you couldn't use ECC or registered RAM at all. It just wasn't an option. Nowadays, it's a different story. Nowadays, if you're on Intel... Yeah, your your only option is still Xeons, but Ryzen will still use ECC. But honestly, though, very rarely has ECC RAM made a difference. But then again, I guess that kind of is the point. I mean... The systems I use here, with the exception of my laptop, use ECC RAM. And, of course, I can easily say, well, I've never noticed a difference, but if the ECC, if the ECC RAM actually did its job properly, I would never know it did its job properly. But then on my laptop... I could have an issue involving ECC RAM, but then again, at the same time, my laptop ends up drawing awkward power from work and causes blue screen errors involving what it detects as bad overclocks when that's not the issue. The issue is the fact that the power is unclean. And that's something that happens, like, very rarely. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. Um, The Galaxy Note. The Galaxy Note is being rumored, and we actually have picture leaks of this Note 10 having both a 10 variant and a 10 plus variant. The 10 variant could be a screen size up to 6.3 inches. At least I'm pretty sure it's 6.3. I should probably look this up real quick. This article does not say, but I believe it was 6.3 inches for the non-plus variant and 6.7 inches for the pro variant. But one thing that's actually kind of of note on these note leaks is the fact that there is going to be a hole punch for the front-facing camera except it's going to be obnoxiously in the middle. I'm not a fan. Like and this might just be me trying to justify, hey, I have an I have an S10 and I love this design because it's my phone. But the S10, not the S10 plus variant, mind you, just put put its front-facing camera in a punch-out in the upper right-hand corner. So it's just kind of out of the way and doesn't draw a whole lot of attention. Whereas this being in the middle, it's going to be right there. There's no ignoring it. Like on mine, I don't even notice it unless, unless 
I actually do notice it quite a bit when the screen is off because then it's black until I got to the upper corner where I can see like the gray of the actual camera sensor. And yeah, I agree, Lichmash. At least it's not a 10 Pro. Because then you're falling into the same trap Apple does. Calling a non-Pro product Pro. Because if it's Pro, it better be Pro. I cannot stress that enough. Now, while Samsung is developing hole-punch cameras, uh, Oppo has found a way to put the camera under the screen. There have been leaks about this. There has been demonstrations about this. But Oppo has made an official announcement. They have developed a product that they are going to release. Where the entire front is nothing but screen and the camera hides under the screen. There's one problem though. You're thinking because of this, you will never see the camera. It, it's, it's the dream. Just all screen on the front, no bezel. No camera. It's flawless. It's the Johnny Ive kind of vision. Except it's totally noticeable. A chunk of the screen where the camera hides is a shade lighter than the rest. I don't know if this is a worthwhile trade-off. If I went by just the pictures I saw, I would say it's not worth it. Though I say that in this article from The Verge, oddly enough, shows it being flawless. But some of the pictures I've seen from other sources that I now can't find to save my life, it didn't look great. So I think that's going to be one of those things that you judge for yourself before you go and buy the phone. One of the other things that was talked about from Oppo is a feature called Mesh Talk. Mesh Talk will allow Oppo phones to talk to one another without the use of Wi-Fi or cellular networks. So Oppo phones will talk to each other directly in basically a peer-to-peer network, sharing data with each other. And it's kind of a cute idea, except, um, how many of you own an Oppo phone? Not many of you, huh? Yeah. On top of that, what is the frequency it operates at? What kind of interference will it take? If I run a microwave, will I su- will my call suddenly drop with this feature? 
it it just seems kind of like one of those things that's just like it's cute on paper, but um. Did you basically just tell us you invented the walkie-talkie? Hmm. Oops. Vesa has announced DisplayPort 2 standards. Okay, Lich Mash in the chat does make a good point. I'm thinking about this as far as usability in the U.S., but in a much much more densely populated area like Korea, this could be a godsend. And you know what? You got me. I I, I failed to think outside the box. Yeah, for a much more densely populated area like that, in fact, actually, taking out the, the condensed points of the cell towers, even. That actually could be huge. In fact, in an emergency sort of situation, making a pop-up mesh network like that actually could be a big deal. If, say, like a hurricane hit, in in a big city and no one could and the cell towers went down I think Oppo's onto something but I think they need to partner up with more cell phone manufacturers maybe work with someone make it make it into a standard hmm Okay, you know, I, I just from that, I, I've I've gone from, oh, that's cute and adorable to, this has potential. Anyway, real quick, DisplayPort two standard is coming out with bandwidth for up to eight K monitors and beyond. This. New standard for DisplayPort, and eventually for HDMI, of course, because it's similar standards, but not quite, and people will argue for and against that forever, but I really... Who cares, really? It's a port. The important thing is how many pixels can I push through it. And this can push up to 4K... At 120 hertz. Or up to 8K at 60 hertz. See, like, right now, people are kind of using 8K as kind of a buzzword. Like, oh, we can use 8K. Oh, man. Oh, man, this will be amazing. But it doesn't matter if the connection doesn't support it. Well, DisplayPort 2 is coming out. And it can support insane resolutions so we'll see where this goes from there (laughs) 
can it do video plus digital audio plus USB three three point whatever over a single cable? Probably not. It should be able to do video and audio because that was the DisplayPort standard in the first place. But no, now you're starting to go into USB and whatnot, and more than likely that's going to be handled by a combo port like Thunderbolt or something of that nature. But in any case, that is what we're soon going to be seeing out of DisplayPort. Now we're going to start to get into some of the weirder stories. I hope you're ready for these. These are always fun. Now, here's a concept that I have no idea how no one thought of this before. Here's an electric car called the Lightyear One. This is an electric car covered in solar panels. So they can use the solar panels to extend its range. Now, we've seen this before in, I believe, the Nissan Leaf, but not to this extent. The Nissan Leaf just had a couple. And I don't think it could actually trickle charge its own battery that way. But this is one that promises with its massive solar panels coating the entire surface of the car... And also being able to accept up to 400 pounds on the panel itself. It's the first car expected to go to consumer production. And I want to stress that because chat is filling up with, we've seen this before in concepts, we've seen this in in electric race cars. This is supposed to be coming to consumer consumption for a price so high that it might as well not. So, this car, between its solar panels and its batteries, should have a theoretical range of up to 450 miles. And even more... On bright and sunny days. The price? Oh, not much. Not much. Not much. Not much at all. 135000 Not much at all. Nah, it's, 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 it's a small loan of $135,000. No, no, no big. No big. But yeah, realistically... This is not going to be for everyone. This is going to be for the same sort of market that bought into the Tesla Model S. But you know what the important thing is between this car and the Tesla cars? First off, I trust this car. I've never I've trust this manufacturer I've never heard of called Lightyear a lot more than I trust Tesla for the main reason is that Tesla has a wonderful reputation of not exactly the great greatest build quality, but still having a cultish following. 
and second, the Lightyear One, believe it or not, has adopted a wonderful standard called having a speedometer behind the steering wheel. Yes, this still bothers me out of the the Model 3. This bothers me to no end that they move the speedometer to the middle of the dashboard to where the to where the radio normally is. This drives me flipping insane. But that's just me. All right, shifting gears drastically. There are confirmed incidents of hackers stealing years of call records directly from cellular networks. Now, your first instinct is to go, oh, yay, another thing has been hacked. At least all they know is just that calls were made and who made them yay whatever but there is actually a bigger deal here sure the info stolen is just phone number called phone number however That means now the hackers have a massive list of confirmed working cell phone numbers. You want to know why a whole bunch of people, myself included, and probably you included as well, get all sorts of wonderful, terrible scam calls? Telling you about your car's extended warranty or affordable health insurance or congratulating you on your excellent credit card history or, oh, what's the other big one recently? Talking about your student loan debt you don't have, that you, that in my case, you don't have. This is why. Because these lists have gotten out. Because so many of these scam networks went and bought these hacked lists. It's no longer about having a metric ton of or just auto-dialing numbers at random. It's the fact you have confirmed numbers and that they're confirmed not to be, you know, oh, say... The police, for starters. There's no longer that fear. And to answer the chat's question of who answer, who's dumb enough to answer unknown calls anyway, I have to. Because unfortunately, my phone is also used for work. And customers and 
customers, usually business customers who have weird numbers, end up having to call me pretty regularly during the weekdays. So it ends up becoming a mess in that regard. And on top of that, do you really like picking up your phone 20 times a day going, I don't recognize them. Nope, don't recognize that one either. Don't recognize that one either. But if you ever wondered, there you go. That ain't helping. That ain't, excuse me, that ain't helping, helping at all. This one crossed my desk, and it was actually kind of interesting. A platform calling itself Go Galaxy is basically trying to compete with Steam and Discord. Not sponsored by them at all, but this kind of just came off kind of weird to me. The fact that this... Because this is now the biggest... Focus of area right now on PC gaming. Creating one launcher for all your games. Discord's doing it. Steam's trying to push their ability to do it. Epic Games is trying to do it by making all games Epic Game Store exclusives. But now we got these guys who came out of nowhere trying to say, Hey, you know... We can combine them all in one spot. Uh? 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 And I have no idea how well they work. But it's just kind of weird. Seeing this is the big focus right now. And if you asked me a year ago, I would say this would be a big focus. But right now, the big focus in PC gaming is just trying to get Epic Games to stop stealing all everyone's games and actually try to be like actually competitive instead of anti-competitive all right shifting gears drastically how about this for one weird story out of fedex so this goes back to the whole huawei ban If you don't know what's going on, first off, congratulations. You managed to avoid all the Huawei news. And as someone who has to cover the Huawei news, I kind of applaud you. I'm a little jealous. I am getting sick of covering Huawei. But I digress. What ended up happening is that as... Part part of the uh, Chinese and U.S. trade deal renegotiations and with heavy accusations of Huawei spying on both the U.S. in general and their own customers for the Chinese government, Huawei has been placed on an entity list companies are not supposed to be dealing with Huawei directly 
That is what being on the entity list means. All right, I want you want you to be aware of that. So fast forward a bit. PC Magazine in their office in the US or I'm sorry, in the UK ships a Huawei phone to their office in the US for inspection and review. They ship it via FedEx. FedEx stops the transit of it, sends it back to the UK saying package undeliverable due to US government and China government relation. Yes, terrible grammar included. When this news made the rounds, I only actually think I covered this on the early bird briefing. It was a story that just kind of I allowed to slip under my radar because it was just bizarre and something didn't smell right about it. And something especially didn't smell right later on when FedEx said that we don't like doing this as much as the customers are, are doing doing it. It's, it's all the government's fault. And in fact, we're going to sue the government for making us stop this phone from being shipped. <laughs> Do you see the red flags? So... Let's go over this in detail. Because a lot of people look at this and just let this slide. Mostly because they disagree with the U.S. government's decision to even renegotiate this deal in the first place. I am going to try and look at this from an apolitical way as possible. So, this Huawei is on the entity list. You cannot deal with what you cannot deal with Huawei if you're an American co- company by being on this list. The list in general is a is not really an order. It is a suggestion. Because in the grand scheme of things, The First Amendment forbids the government from telling any company how they should be dealing with business. There is that for starters. Most people still follow the entity list, but here's the thing. FedEx is not dealing with Huawei. They are dealing with PC Magazine. PC Magazine is the customer. The Huawei phone, if anything, it would be contraband that would be seized by customs. 
no matter how I look at the story, I have no idea what those FedEx employees did, especially since they wrote this in the most in a very grammatically incorrect way. I don't think FedEx had to do this like at all. No matter how I look at it, it doesn't make any sense for them to behave like this. There is no rule or anything saying that they had to. The only excuse I can think of is that it would have been seized by customs. So, is FedEx going to sue the U.S. government for having to comply with customs? You kind of see why I hesitate to report on this story. Because when you start thinking about it logically, based on what we have in front of us, it doesn't make any sense. It just seems like a whole bunch of stupid people making stupid decisions. But there you go. That's the latest Huawei story. It involves FedEx not knowing how grammar works and then suing the U.S. government because they have employees that don't know how grammar works and then sent back a phone that on paper they shouldn't have had to. All right, well, that's enough defending the the U.S. Let, let's talk about how the US, U.S. Air Force has developed a weapon that is horrifying. A brand new weapon called THOR, which is an acronym for Tactical High-Powered Microwave Operational Responder. So it's Thupanor. Because we're just going to ignore that that P for power, huh? Just because you 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 clearly just want... Actually, we're ignoring the M, too. You just wanted to ha- have the acronym say Thor. <laughs> Dude. People in chat want want to know if I want to buy a ball after pronouncing Thupanor. But yeah, using microwaves, it can in fact stop drones remotely. And then basically crash down by just knocking them out. Now, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theory crazy person here, but... um. If it can use microwaves to wreck a drone and knock it out of the air, uh, what can it do to people? And how? what's the range on that thing? Um, what's the safe range of this? How far does that go? Am I being cooked right now without knowing it? 
Um, I I mean it's neat, but uh. I mean, how directional are we talking? <laughs> or is this going to be like a radar that it's just like, where's the direction? Everywhere. All right, then. Well, let's just keep hoping we use that for military and battlefield purposes only. All right, let me take off the tinfoil hat and actually sound intelligent again. Like about how government hackers have reportedly broken to the Russian Google equivalent Yandex. Oh, great. That doesn't make me sound sane at all. So yeah, Yandex has reportedly been been hacked into breached and data stolen by the Five Eyes Alliance. That's the US, Britain, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. I still love the fact that after I overreacted about about uh Thupanor. That chat's trying to talk me off the ledge. She's like, it's safe, it's safe. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's just short range. It's only going to affect electronics. You'll be fine. To which, playing back with chat, I'm going to go, that's just what they want you to think. The voices in my head tell me otherwise. Nah, I'm sure it's fine. But yeah, you want to talk about hacking wars escalate? Uh, there you go. Yandex broken into. So, uh, hey Google, uh, if I were you, uh, step up your security, because I got a feeling that uh, Russia's going to want payback. J- just, just a little. And now for the last burb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of, story of the day, and I have no idea how the heck all of the weird tech stories stands for, like, two. We're all government-related. But the Department of Defense has developed <laughs> a laser beam that can identify people based on their heartbeat. The prototype laser can work even through clothing and up to 200 meters away to successfully identify someone based on their heartbeat, but only, only if they have that heartbeat signature on record. You want to talk about a story that will bring out all the tinfoil hat crazy people. There you go, right there. Big Brother doesn't even need to see your face. They don't need to see your fingerprint. They can identify you at up to a fifth of a kilometer away with your heart, just with a laser and knowing your heartbeat. And of course, but I mean, you, you know, it's, it's, it's no big. 
It's no big. Nothing. It, it, it's just a cute concept that nothing bad's going to go wrong with this at all. Nothing's going to go wrong. It's just it's just another way to successfully identify five people. What I want to know is when is this going to be put into a phone so that so that only my phone will open me based on my heartbeat rhythm, which then will never unlock after I just jogged a mile or down the stairs. Yeah, well, it's still it's it's still a, a it's still a cool idea. So we'll see how that works out down the road. That's going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Be sure to check and check out our daily podcast, The Early Bird Briefing, which you can find wherever you found this podcast. And also check out my Twitch page, which now has its own website at eaglefalcon.live, which will hopefully be up and running perfectly by the time you hear this on our platforms. Take care and have a great day. man they're using lasers now man they can detect your heartbeat they're gonna start recording our heartbeat rhythms at birth they're gonna know us all they're gonna keep an eye on us at all times man and you know what the only thing that'll save us are the terminators the terminators have no heartbeat they'll they'll be the only ones that won't be detected we need to keep an eye out the man is out for us man and the fortunate thing is that these cool tinfoil hats they protect you from the lasers that way, they can't ID us and they can't mind control us, man. I'm not crazy. You're crazy, man. You're crazy.